You're listening to the Slavic Literature Pod, your shelf-help guide to all things Slavic. I'm Cameron Lalana. And I'm Matt Gerasimovich. And you are listening to our read-along of Vasily Grossman's Life and Fate, covering chapter, part one, chapter nine. Uh, and today we've gone from the relative slowness of the previous two chapters, the relative shortness, to a pretty, uh, feel it, saying explosive part sounds inappro- seems inappropriate. And that's because it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, we, we, the war comes to Troikov and his staff. So is there anywhere you want to start with this? Everything is on fire. That's where I'd like to start. Uh a pretty scary chapter, uh, I would say. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't like to be in that situation by by any chance. But what I liked about this chapter, and this is something I really liked about Stalingrad, is that there are these passages that are really beautiful that are interspersed into the war. I, I don't want to say more so than Tolstoy, but it, I don't know. It, they really strike you when you read them, and especially when we're doing this chapter a day format. I do feel like there are, I, I notice them more. And so the quote that I chose to feature on our Instagram this morning uh, was, you know, talking about the, you know, how the the oil is on the, on the Volga and it's on fire and it's just, you know, it's like this unbelievable scene, uh, I'm sure, to have witnessed. And the quote says, the life that had reigned hundreds of millions of years before the terrible life of primeval monsters had broken out of its deep tombs, howling and roaring, stamping its huge feet. It was devouring everything roundabout. And I don't know, just the the way that that Grossman kind of chooses to describe these things. Um, yeah, you can describe how big a fire is, but to describe the power of the fire, uh, you know, that it's you know drawing on the the life of these things that had lived millions of years before you. Uh, it's really beautiful, I thought. And it's almost strikes you as just out of the ordinary in some ways. Uh, or it could. But, you know, to me, he really perfectly kind of wraps these two things together in a way that it, it doesn't feel out of the ordinary. But it does still strike you at least as beautiful. Right. And going from the fire, I let's go to a comment from one of our users in Discord, Mike Shaw, also known as PugLife890 on Discord, who is talking about the fire. Uh, one of the characters in the, starting with Zakharov, Zakharov isn't in the fire, but the possibilities of the disasters taking place at a crucial position that can't be reached is terrifying in its own right. There are obvious strategic implications if the Germans overrun them, but there are, as the end of the chapter shows, emotional connections to the comrades who, for all all he knows, have all been incinerated in a horrifying manner. Because I read a few chapters at once, I was reading this emotional display in relation to Mostovskoy's speech in chapter six. Listen, Cossacks, this is quoting Mostovskoy, everything's fine, can't you see that? Every day, the state created by Lenin continues to exist as a death blow to fascism. We must hold our heads high. Uh, And then it goes on for a little bit. Zakharov certainly cares about the results, but he cannot adopt a purely ideological frame of mind, whereas where individuals are non-entities fueling the progress of the state when he can see a hellish from a distance where comrades, where he can see a hellish sight from a distance where comrades are burning alive. I think this is a good differentiation, right? Where you do see a very 
interesting line that a lot of people have to walk uh, on the side of the USSR in this war for people who are in the camps, as we've talked about it pretty um, at a long extent, uh, but also even on the front lines, right? Uh, we are years away now from the depths of the Yezovshina of what we'd call the Great Terror. Uh, but even on the front lines, the, the NKVD is still looking for possibilities of, you know, um, fifth columnists. Was it fourth columnists or fifth columnists? Yeah, somebody has a column, yeah, for sure. Right. <laughs> some, some number of columns down from one, uh, right? Traders, whatever. And as is noted by biographers of Grossman, uh, being on the front lines where the NKVD were not could sometimes provide a strange sense of, freedom for some uh, who the NKVD might have otherwise been paying attention to. And this is a, another like a sort of related point where somebody was asking a little bit about the military ranks. And it, it can be important to know sort of how the ranks relate to each other. But to me, I think part of the way that the front line is displayed is this almost collapsing of the ranks. I mean, they're still there, obviously, but because because of the fact that when you're in battle, you know, things tend to break down, uh, these sort of artificial boundaries sort of break down, it, it becomes interesting to see how people kind of interact and relate on just this one-to-one -one basis outside of just their ranks. Um, so this is something that I was thinking about as we're getting to some more, I don't want to call them action scenes, but scenes with action. Definitely. You also saw that in Stalingrad where... Uh, those soldiers fighting in the city itself. I, I'm thinking of one scene where there's a peasant from who's been following the whole book, and I really need to remember his name. Um, despite the fact that there is no official officer, uh, he's been such kind of a father figure to everyone there that by the time they need someone to lead them, naturally he steps up to that role, not by virtue of being appointed or having the rank, but simply because he has earned that respect from everyone around him. That is Vavilov, who we will be meeting tomorrow in Life and Fate. Yes. There we go. Vavilov, our I, boy. I knew he was coming up shortly, but because we're kind of ahead writing posts, I, it all gets kind of blurred together. And <laughs> when I read it, and then I go back to write, and then I go back to read for the day, everything's a blur for me. Carrying on from there, I wanted to bring in a comment from another Discord user, Reagan, who, uh, responding to Mike, says, That's a great point. I've been thinking a lot over the past few days of the ideological debate in the camp, compounded by the fact that it's easier to have black and white thinking as a Russian in a German camp as compared to the realities of the front line of the war. So, yeah, kind of hitting that same same point. And especially because this book is going to be much more concerned with the camps than um, the last book, but simultaneously also carrying along the front lines of the war, we're going to be able, we're going to be continuing to see this dichotomy. Yeah, and there there was a line from... I don't know if it was like literally the first chapter or one of the first ones where Grossman's talking about the need for, in some ways, this black and white thinking, or at least in, in the camps, this kind of, I don't know, sort of the way you think about any sort of freedom outside of it, as in it has, you know, it has to be good because it has to be better than this uh, in the way that you're, you're thinking kind of morphs just out of necessity, pure necessity. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. We we do. We get something quite different on, on the front lines versus in the camps, as you might imagine. Which is something that will only keep evolving. So keep an eye on that. I also want to bring in a comment here from a Discord user, Mary, uh, who says, I've just caught up after a busy few days, and Grossman's writing is compulsively readable. I also don't know if I'm sad or if this book is sad or both. Uh, answer is certainly number two. Uh, number one is... 
you know, up to us individually to figure out. I'm just sad. The whole time I'm reading a LOL, I also really enjoyed this chapter and the description of fire, oil, and water. It really felt like nature was coming alive. Quoting here, the blazing oil formed a thin film over the water, hissing, smoking, and twisting as if it was caught by the current. And, you know, probably this is the thoughts. I, well, you know, I can't say this for sure, but I will say that Grossman, when he was in Stalingrad for about four months, he was interviewing people fighting in the front line of the war. He was in Stalingrad itself. And in order to write up his articles, recall he's a journalist, uh, he had to then cross the Volga River back to the right, back to the left bank in order to submit those, which were heavily, uh, heavily besieged by the Wehrmacht. So, you know, that was a very dangerous crossing to make. And I'm sure he came under fire more than once doing it. Yeah, I think it encapsulates, you know, what it feels like to have not just people attacking you, but the whole world. I mean, like literally everything is feeling like it is stacked against the troops that are defending Stalingrad right now. Um, and I, again, I think that's important to remember, how, you know, how close it was to not going, how it went. And, and you really do get that sense while reading this. And also, yeah, the, the, the book is sad. Uh, it's it's not going to get uh, too much more lighthearted from here, although we we do get some moments of comic relief coming up, in my opinion. For sure. Yeah, just know in your heart, as you're reading this and feeling sad, it's going to get much worse. Yeah. <laughs> and then it may seem like it's going to get better, but it doesn't. But okay, I will just say that is an interesting and sort of important point on reading more generally. It's like, even though we have these really sad, terrible things that we're reading about, you know, number one, it's still, of course, important to read about them, to know, to, you know, sort of witness as well secondhand, I guess, that these things happen. But also, there is still this sort of pleasure in reading itself. So, you know, no matter how bad, difficult, uh, how much of a struggle it is, there is, I think, still some pleasure that can be derived from it, and especially uh, reading along with a community. So if if you're listening to this and you think it's too late for you, it's not too late for you to join. You can still get in on this. You can get in on this terrible, terrible sadness. And if you're already in on this terrible, terrible sadness, go ahead and feel free to sad post in the uh, Life and Fate 24 uh, section of our Discord server. We'll sad post with you. We'll sad post with you. We're there every and day. Whatever you post about, whatever is making you sad, I am absolutely certain we can find context to make it worse. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm already setting up my head some things you're going to read in this book, which uh, real world events will make way worse. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, we have the, 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 the very the very terrible stat chapter 18 coming up, but I can't remember what chapter it is towards I mean, maybe like two-thirds through, which is, you, you think Grossman like slaps you with the worst of it at the beginning. No, no. No, no. No, no. But anyhow, uh, we've got one last uh, comment here. This one's from Leia. It's interesting that the major players in this chapter are historical figures. Did Grossman come to know these men personally in his capacity as a journalist? Are the emotions ascribed to them crafted to fit the narrative, or did he witness some of these reactions firsthand? And, okay, so our broad answer here is that we cannot tell you for certain for any particular person. That being said, keep in mind that Grossman was basically the journalist of the Red Star uh, for the USS, for the Red Army. Uh, he was one of the Soviet Union's like foremost journalists of the war at this time. He was talking to a lot of people. Uh, I would say good odds. He if he didn't talk to them 
personally, he certainly was probably pretty familiar with them through other journalists. Uh, he was more of a frontline journalist. So I would say the more, the closer that person was to actually fighting on the front lines, the more likely it was uh, that he actually knew them personally. Some of these things he's writing are things that he did see or people he did talk to or things he did hear about. I couldn't speak to life and fate as much as I can speak to Stalingrad, right? There are many chapters where there are real commanders who were people he actually knew and he portraying things that actually happened. Sometimes that did get him into a little bit of trouble. There's a, a scene in Stalingrad where there's a commander, you know, signing a death warrant and a piece of essentially crayon. And that was not super well loved by the establishment, given that that was a real person. And this was a rough reflection of a real event. We told him to stop using crayon. <laughs> right? Um, and yeah, so it depends on that individual character for sure. It is definitely possible. But then again, you know, a lot of the characters in the book are sort of the conglomerate of many of the stories that he right, wrote about or had heard. So definitely, I would say it's more likely also that he heard about the reactions or spoke to someone about them rather than witnessing them firsthand for the most part. I mean, you see that in, in points like, I, I can't remember if this is a short story, this is from Stalingrad, but there's a commander who, oh, sorry, what the uh, our commissar uh, Krimov will go through, or did go through in Stalingrad, uh, breaking out through an encirclement of German forces, uh, which is also covered in a short story of his, or short book of his, uh, is based on a real commander, uh, which, based on all the secondhand accounts, Grossman heard that this man had died, so in the short story specifically, you know, Telling the same story basically under his name, he kills the guy towards the end of the book. Uh, but in the real life, the guy was actually alive and apparently found it quite amusing that Grossman killed him in a novel. Um, so, you know, just because he heard it doesn't necessarily mean it was true, but it was certainly something that he heard about. These things are possibly things you heard about someone, regardless of whether or not they're true, is the short version of that. But good questions today. Good discussion today. Back to the back to the grind in, in Discord. <laughs> All right, well, unless there's anything else you wanted to cover. No, I'm out. All right. I'm retiring. Great. In that case, we're retiring forever. You heard <laughs> it here first. Until tomorrow. Until tomorrow. That's when you'll hear from us again soon. Yeah.